How much do businesses really know about what they waste and where it goes? Topolytics helps companies measure and map complex waste flows, improving visibility and trust in the data, and spotlighting value opportunities. Welcome to the Circular Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Wheatman, and I started this podcast to help people discover why circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. Some people think going circular means swapping a few materials or making things a bit more recyclable. But that's nowhere near enough to create a healthy, resilient and zero carbon world where we can all thrive. Many organisations are missing the game-changing potential of going circular. The disruptors in this space are using circular strategies to reimagine how to create value for all their stakeholders. They're doing better with less. We'll hear from those inspiring people who are challenging business as usual and rethinking how we design, make and use everything. You'll find the show notes and links at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to podcast updates, my Circular Insights newsletter and check out my award-winning A Circular Economy Handbook. Hey there, welcome to episode 123 and thanks for listening. Today we explore why it's important to understand and map your waste flows what they are, specifically, where they're created and end up, how much there is and why, and then to investigate the opportunities for wasting less and circulating more value. As we know, businesses generate lots of waste throughout their manufacturing and commercial processes. Some of that waste goes for recycling, but recycling doesn't necessarily come with a smaller footprint. And you've probably read a few of the recent stories about waste and unwanted resources that weren't reused or recycled, but were shipped overseas, supposedly for resale and reuse. Is there a risk that your organisation lacks knowledge of the specific types and volumes of waste, its operational impact and how it's being dealt with? Topolytics is a data analytics business that's making the world's waste visible verifiable and valuable. Michael Groves and Fleur Ruckley explain how data analytics, mapping and machine learning can make waste and resource management more transparent, efficient and effective, both commercially and environmentally. Topolytics founder and chief executive officer Michael Groves is a geographer with a PhD in aerial and satellite earth observation. Michael has over 20 years experience in environmental management and sustainability reporting. Fleur Ruckley is Topolytics Head of Implementation, using Topolytics WasteMap platform to generate actionable waste and resources analytics for clients and their supply chains. Fleur has a degree in natural sciences and a master's in environmental management and has worked in the charity, public and private sectors, supporting organisations, communities and schools to develop and implement sustainable and circular policies and practices. Fleur is a chartered waste manager and is a member of the Circular Economy Steering Group for the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. Topolytics Waste Map helps companies identify areas for improvement, such as preventing or reducing waste or by redesigning products and processes to support reuse and achieve more efficient and sustainable outcomes. Mike explains how those sectors with significant waste generation are showing increasing interest in this. Businesses that understand what materials they produce and consume can then make better decisions about recovery, reuse and recycling. And geospatial analysis can help reduce waste by identifying material flow and leakage. Fleur tells us how companies are starting to see the benefits of using data and modelling to reduce waste along their supply chains. 
with improvements in ESG, environmental, social and governance reporting, supplier management and for overall performance. Mike also highlights the potential for industrial symbiosis, using unwanted materials to create resources for another organisation. In other words, new byproducts and value opportunities. I'm sorry that the sound quality isn't the best for this episode. Let's get into the conversation and meet Mike, Michael Groves and Fleur Ruckley from Topolytics. And afterwards, I'll share my takeaways. Mike and Fleur, welcome and thanks for taking time out to do the podcast. And I'd like to start with how you explain Topolytics to people who are new to the circular economy. So maybe thinking of somebody you've just met in the pub. Oh, those were the days going to the pub. That's a that's a great idea. Um, yeah. So if you think about the circular economy, just sort of generally speaking, what we're trying to do is is keep all of that material that we're using to to make stuff, um, trying to keep it all in use at its maximum utility, if you like. Um, so obviously that involves all sorts of things, doesn't it? it? Involves things like designing kind of new products that they can be recovered and refurbished or remanufactured. It's designing new types of materials that can be better recovered or recycled um and it's new sort of business models so that you know we're kind of leasing stuff rather than buying stuff and then chucking it away but clearly within all of that you've still got the sort of production of all of that sort of those products and that packaging and then its use and then what is happening to it then so so essentially you're still generating waste within that that whole kind of system and so we've deliberately sort of made a choice to actually try and address if you like, the end of the pipe, all of the waste that's being produced through manufacturing processes, through commercial processes, that's going into our kind of kind of cities, sort of municipal systems, you know, you've still got lots of material. If you look at the World Bank numbers, that material is just going to keep going up over the next kind of 20 or 30 years. So it is a problem that we have to address whilst also trying to design waste out of the system. So how do you address that problem of all that kind of waste material? Because one of the problems there is that nobody really knows what's going on. So, you know, you've got this kind of the waste and recycling companies, they collect some data. You've got the companies that produce waste that they have some knowledge, but maybe not not a huge amount of information about what's going on. Um, So that's what we do as Toplytics. So we have a product, which is a sort of data platform called uh, Waste Map. And our customers, say, would be a big company that produces lots of waste, ask us the question, what happens to it? You know, we, we're generating all this kind of material across all of our sites, across all these different countries. We, 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 we have lots of different companies that come on site, collect that material, move it off site. But we don't really kind of know what's going on there. We don't really know what's happening to that material. So basically, that's what we do with WasteMap. WasteMap gives them that, that, that visibility and that trust in the data on all of that material that's going into that, if you like, downstream supply chain. So that ultimately with that, they can start to think, well, actually, why is it like that? Why is that happening? Can we not change that? Can we not think about ways that we can obviously be more efficient and resource efficient or cost efficient, but can we actually recover more of that material? Can we find better outcomes for that material? And that's the kind of starting point but clearly then they can start to maybe get a little bit more sophisticated about thinking about strategies for reducing the amount of waste that they're producing in the first place or designing processes and and products in different ways. So so we've really come at it from that, if you like, the end of the pipe, if you like, because we know that there is still a problem there, even though we understand that really the circular economy is designing waste out of the system ultimately. Mm. But before you can kind of design the waste out, you have to know what it is, where it's occurring, um, how much there is, whether that's a consistent amount throughout the year or it goes up and down for various reasons. And I guess just to pick up on, because you use a phrase, end of pipeline a few times, sometimes for people who've not worked in manufacturing, um, when we talk about end of the pipeline waste, we can often think about, you know, what's happened at the end of the process when, you know, it's, it's the... Um, the end of use products or the you know products that have been returned because they're faulty or that kind of thing but of course at every stage of production from extraction and farming through processing those resources into usable materials and then all the other stages of transformation with applying you know solvents to make something more workable or finishing chemicals 
um, and all sorts of things, you know, there are wastes, some wastes that could be recovered. It's now possible to get solvents as a service, say, so they can stay in a closed loop and be cleaned up. And then, of course, there are offcuts um, from textiles. So there's all these different kinds of waste. And I guess your end of pipeline is kind of thinking about the fact that those can no longer be reused in that process. But it's important to think that it's, you know, it is at every stage of the process. So it's like a long pipeline with all sorts of different outlets at every stage. Would that be fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've just done a, a, a quite a bit of work with manufacturers um, in Scotland. They, they could be sort of Scottish only operations or they could be part of multinationals with a footprint in Scotland. And it was really to ask precisely that question. What do they know about waste? before it goes into that into that if you like into that system into that recycling or that 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 waste system because what we want to try and understand is actually are they measuring it before it goes into mm -hmm. a skip or a container and is taken off site and what we what we really saw generally speaking was there is a there is even in sophisticated sort of production systems where you've got sort of digital systems you've got ERP systems etc when it comes to the stuff that's falling out of a production process, you know, at, at an early stage or at a later stage, doesn't really matter. There is there is still a, a bit of a mixed bag there in terms of what the, their knowledge of what is falling out of that pr process at the point at which it happens, as opposed to you know the point at which somebody comes on site, collects a skip, and says, right, you've generated this much material of this type, and so on and so forth. So, so I do think absolutely there are some real there's some real opportunity there, mm. and it doesn't have to be sophisticated or expensive or or or, or you, you know sort of costly for companies to actually start to measure some of that stuff. The pipe is 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 all the way through that that you know that kind of um, that kind of purchasing production process. Yeah. But in the main, we're starting with what do they know about the material that is going out of the door. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's our starting point. And then we can work back up the, if you like, back up into the, 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 um, the if you like, the, into the business and, and start to kind of explore some of those things. Yeah. One of the um, analogies that I've, I used to use a lot, less so now, um, is thinking of the production and consumption system as if it's a leaky hose pipe, you know, with, with leaks at every stage of the process. It's not just what's coming out of the end. What about the kind of um, the sectors that you tend to um, work in? What you know, can you give us a, f a flavor of those? Yeah, and, and just to that, your, your points there, absolutely. The devil's in the detail. That's a, that's my kind of yeah, way yeah. of saying that. I think when it comes to this stuff, um, yeah. And to your to your point about um, you, you know that that kind of lack of kind of knowledge and and and, and visibility. Um, yeah, I mean, completely. That's really what we're what we're trying to do. So, so the sectors that we're operating across would be things like transport, so aviation, for example. Um, kind of some clearly some massive challenges there from the point of view of fuels, and we've seen some interesting developments there recently. Um, but, but clearly, there are also sort of big challenges with end of life for you know sort of mm -hmm. aircraft, for example, and engines and, and other, other other such things, as well as the sort of operational engineering maintenance um kind of materials as well uh mining we we've been doing some work in the mining uh sector and and again interestingly you know if you think about the volume of material in the mining sector you know the mineral waste you know the tailings you know the by far the kind of biggest mm -hmm. biggest kind of volume of, of materials and some real challenges there obviously in terms of um kind of you know hazardous materials but also just within the non-mineral waste where Okay, the volumes are not as great, but there's still significant quantities of high value materials that potentially, you know, where there could be, you know, there could be opportunities for, you know, valorization, if I can mm. use that, that, that word as yeah, well, that, other uh, that, that material. Um, so that's another sector. Um, and, and then manufacturing, you know, in, in a kind of broad sense, clearly, because, you know, you've got a lot of different sort mm. of, you know, material that's both being used to, to make stuff, but then you've then got a whole bunch of different byproducts coming out of that. And they could be, you know, it could be recyclable standard sort of recyclable materials, but it could also be quite kind of complex kind of hazardous materials as well. And within that clearly food food and drink, you know, there's a kind of, yeah. there's, a, you know, there's quite a bit of kind of activity uh, there. 
So, um, yeah, and I think also then commercial property is another area because you've got, you know, this kind of huge kind of swath of, you know, sort of operations, whether they be business parks, industrial parks or, mm. or commercial office uh, facilities. And again, a real kind of the, the mix of material in that kind of commercial sort of property context may not be massively sort of complex, but you've got lots of different sites across many, many, you know, different countries. So you've got that level of complexity. And that's why the you know, thinking about this geospatially, coming back to waste map and topolytics as in the as in as in the company, you know, we believe that you can't separate the the geography from an understanding of of that material and 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 where it goes and what happens to it, because actually that gives you the ability to sort of really start start to think about how we can effectively think about recovering more of that material. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about a physical material mm. that has to be moved for something to happen to it. Now, whether it's moved on a localized basis or whether it's moved on a sort of regional or national or international basis, that just kind of varies enormously. So we think getting to grips with that aspect of it, I think is an important part of actually building better systems for recovering that material. And ultimately, going back to your point earlier on about leakage, you know, our view is that if we can make the system work better, we can reduce the leakage. And the leakage is basically the stuff that is either being dumped kind of legally or mm. potentially just being chucked away and is ending up in in rivers and in the environment. And 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 that's you know, trying to trying to address it at that point is too late. So we're trying to kind of stop it getting in there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, that's you know really given us a good a good kind of grounding into into um, what you're offering and and Fleur, what what's driving uh, companies to want to explore this um, and to you know kind of get in touch and say um, come and talk to us about what you could what you could do to help us. Um, yeah, so I mean, Mike's picked up on a few of these things. The, the I think the key things that we're seeing at the minute is probably three main areas. So one is um, reporting. So ESG reporting, corporate reporting, and the need to kind of feel that they are basing claims and basing um, statements on reality. So the ability to, to, to dive in and make sure that what they're saying is true and it's backed up by reality. Um, second is probably, and this is no particular order because it depends on the company and it depends on who in the company is involved. Um, second would be supplier management. So supply chain and understanding and management of the supply chain. So being able to really very clearly understand who is involved in the waste supply chain, who's taking what, where is it going, um, where is it going to, who's who's managing it. Um, and the third is probably performance management. So that, that internal look at the company being able to to kind of identify um, what targets could be set, what opportunities there are. So are there opportunities to 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 change processes to save waste to reduce waste to change where things are going to change fate etc so those three things yeah I think are the are the main issues and like I say it it's not one thing or another um what we do find is and I think anybody who works with companies finds this the more you dig and the more data and information people have available to them the more opportunities mm. and problems and challenges that they see and the more ability that they have to 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 make a, a difference on those things yeah yeah, so I guess, you know, you kind of shine a light in one area and then that helps answer the question that you started out with, but also allows companies to kind of say, oh, well, if that's happening, then that means, you know, we could be thinking about this or, um, you know, we, we could do that. So, yeah, I guess one one kind of um, spotlight on a, on, a, on a speck of data leads to more questions and answers. And how can the can you kind of give us a couple of examples of ways in which the modeling and the data has helped customers kind of get to grips with this but then do something that's more circular in terms of of their flows waste flows and so on yeah absolutely um i think probably one example is a project that we've done recently with a food and drink manufacturer um and in that instance the aim was to to help them to understand where waste was well help them to understand what waste was being produced and help them to understand their supply chain, but fundamentally help them to understand where within the production process. So um, the waste was being produced. So generally 
if people have an idea of if businesses understand what their waste is, it will be from the back door, if you like. So from the from the bins, they understand what waste is being produced, how much of it's recyclable, how much of it is material X versus material Y and where it's going. But quite often, especially with a complicated business, that information isn't quite enough to help make decisions. Um, what they need to know is where in the process it's being produced, why is it being produced and what's possible. Um, so I think probably this example, um, we helped help the company to understand where within the production process. And in this case, um, there was a couple of key areas where, for example, uh, at the very, very beginning stage, in this case, it was a um, they were producing plastic bottles, filling plastic bottles. Um, so where the production process um, involves taking what's called a preform, a plastic PET preform, and um, expanding that using hot air, essentially warming it and blowing it into a bottle. Um, at in this particular company, the the um, when there was a failure at a particular point, so in the labeling, for example, when there was a failure at labeling, everything that came before that process became waste. Um, so helping the company identify exactly where the majority of the the waste, the plastic waste was being produced, helped them to then say, okay, well, there's a couple of things we can do here. One is, look at how we are managing that waste. So in this case, they're dealing with a, a third party and it helped them to say, okay, well, what about if we take that waste, we bulk it up internally, we shred it, and then we deal directly back with the manufacturer. We close the loop on that. So we're then getting that resource back. We're wasting the product, but we're getting that resource back and we understand where our, our plastic preforms are coming from. So that created a really interesting conversation within the company and, and allowed them to start working directly with the manufacturer. And then it sort of allows you to then take it a little bit further. It's like, okay, well, actually, let's put that into a slightly different perspective. What happens if you look at the, the value of that waste, the waste um, PET and the waste from the, the labels and say, okay, what does that mean for purchasing? So if they take that total tonnage and they apply the concept of we've bought that resource in the first place, what does that mean in terms of value? And the, the difference in value is enormous. You know, the difference in value from looking at a closed loop was about was in the couple of thousand pounds a month, say, for example, the difference in value with changing that perspective and saying, OK, what does that mean in terms of wasted product? What have we spent on that product? And what about if we change the manufacturing process? What would be the return on investment? And it's sort of five times as much. Wow. There's difference between £2,000 a month and £10,000 a month, which then changes the whole balance of decision making because you say, OK, we're wasting £120,000 a year in terms of wasted product. We've bought that product. We're wasting it. We can maybe gain back what? Can't even count at the minute. £25,000 a year um, by recycling that and getting a rebate, which leaves us with, you know, the better part of £100,000 that we could spend on something to change that process. So, again, it's that ability to make better decisions, I think, and and also take them further and take companies through that process, I think, has probably been, for me, the most interesting um, aspect of it. Yeah, I guess when there's when there's something that's kind of such a, uh, a game changer in terms of, you know, just one thing that was going wrong and the opportunities that have arisen from that, then it would really get companies, would certainly get me curious about, well, what else can we unpick to kind of, you know, see see how we can reuse this? Um, so, yeah, that's that's really good. And, Mike, are, th are there any examples that you'd like to, to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that there's two I'm sort of thinking of, and, and, and I... The first one, I think, relates to the idea of what we think about when we think about waste, you know, in our own context. So it's how we, in our own minds, decide, well, that is a waste material. And so we've seen this with, with one customer where actually what we, we've started, again, this idea that, okay, just start by looking at what we know at the moment, you know, what we think about at the moment and what we, what information we have, who we're working with, what materials we think, you know, are a waste material. Um, and then the, once we started looking at that, it was like, well, what about actually we've got this, uh, we were approached by a company that actually refurbishes or, or, re, or essentially um, kind of handles kind of end of life certain end of life parts of you know components that that, that that this company is 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 kind of you know has been responsible for um but actually they haven't really sort of thought about that within the context of if you like looking at the the waste streams because it wasn't necessarily deemed thought about in that way so so that's now 
coming into this, we're bringing that into the picture as well. So we're starting by saying, well, let's look at the stuff that is kind of being disposed of or recycled. But actually, what about all that other components, other materials that actually are already being kind of somehow recovered and 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 and, and reused or remanufactured? And actually, let's bring them into that picture as well. Because if you're going to look at the system, that system will not only be the stuff that's in that sort of fairly loose recycling loop, you know, the, the one that everybody decries and says and circular economy is not about recycling. And yes, we get that. But, you know, so you've got that that bit. It's the it's the unloved child, of the circular economy. But then you, within that, you, there is stuff that actually either is already being kind of, you know, more in a, t a closed loop, more of a sort of t a tighter loop in terms of being, you know, re refurbished or remanufactured. And then you've got other other material that had to that hadn't thought about in that way that could actually be kept in in, in those kind of loops. So so again, I think that was a really interesting example. Um, and and actually, these components were major parts of you know of you know the, the the stuff that this company was actually kind of using, major part part of its operation. So that's one thing. It's 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 what you think about. It's what are you thinking about here? Are you just thinking about the stuff that's being landfilled or recycled or are you yeah. thinking kind of more broadly about that stuff and we yeah. help to focus their minds on that so that's one thing i think the second one is the idea of symbiosis the old you know industrial symbiosis you know something that you know the concept has been around since time yeah. immemorial and um and so again just by bringing that visibility about different materials that might be coming out of sites within a single corporate entity particularly the multinational that may have you know multiple sites in say one country what they in this instance they realize well i've got all that actually that's that material could be used by one of our other sites but we just weren't making that connection so again by bringing it onto the map you can start to see where it is and you can start to understand okay well what what are the logistical challenges about getting bringing that material or taking that material out of the sort of traditional recycling system and actually transporting it to another of our sites where it could be reused so again that's where that that you know what one of the things i also say that doesn't annoy people is you're better being on the map than not being on the map because if you're if you're on the map yes you're visible but being visible you, you'll you, you'll then see everything else that's on the map so you've got that opportunity to start to sort of think about well actually we could we could use some of that material and we could economically viably economically move that material and and bring it into a sort of production process somewhere else so so i guess they're the two things it's the mindset and the the thought of actually refurb and reuse within that whole kind of system and then the other one is the the opportunities for that kind of symbi symbiosis yeah, and I guess so. Um, top politics would identify the flows and the opportunities. Would it also be able to kind of highlight that you know this is available now um, for those other sites, or does it just is it is it more about identifying the patterns and the and the opportunities um, rather than being able to log that there are this many tons of this material available now? Um, um, you know, go and go and get it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit of both. I mean, we 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 are not a marketplace. So Waste Map is not a materials marketplace specifically mm. in that way. We haven't designed it in that way. We've really designed it as a, it's more of a, if you like, in a technology sense, an aggregation model where we, what our, our view is that the only way to build a sort of trusted, sort of data-driven view within the context of a, an individual company. Or within the context of a city or a, or even a country is that you have to accept that the data is going to be in many different places in many different formats and 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 you know in many different sort of uh, you know and it will it, you know in and forms and, and and systems and 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 therefore being able to sort of see that aggregated but standardized mm -hmm. view and see the patterns within that we think are really important because that then obviously allows you to think about, you, you know, how we could, you know, address, you know, some of these issues like, you know, we can we can sort of look at things like symbiosis and we can kind of think about the impact of moving material 500 miles when it could actually be processed 20 miles down the road. So you've got mm -hmm. that carbon, there's a sort of carbon aspect to it uh, as well. 
So, but having said that, clearly we do see all of those, if you like, granular transactions, and therefore there is those opportunities to actually, uh, I suppose, to to um, to seed some of that transactional stuff as well, even though we're not, you know, our, our, our model is not a marketplace model specifically. Sure. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So, yeah. So, um, Fleur, how would you sum up the benefits that customers typically see, say, in the first year or so? Um, so, I think probably in the first year, um, it's, and again, it depends on the company. It depends where they were before and why they came to us. So, where they were before they, they started. But I would say the ability to baseline. So, the ability to really understand where they are, how much waste are they producing, where they're producing, what is it, where is it going and and what does that supply chain look like and how in control are they with that supply chain? Mm. So that's the first bit is that ability to just baseline probably comes before anything else. Um, once that is underway, then you start to see opportunities and those opportunities, again, it depends on the business, but are generally in a couple of main areas. One is around the supply chain. So sometimes and often um, the what they find is that there are organic relationships with the supply chain that have developed. So somebody in one area has commissioned a waste management consultant to take a particular waste stream away, um, or they've had a, a particular contractor in post for a long period of time, and that relationship has developed in, you know, organically. Yeah. Um, so that ability to then structure and control and manage that waste um, supply chain in a way that suits and, and benefits the business mm. probably kicks in in there. Um, the sort of and Mike's picked up on quite a few of these things. The opportunity to to valorize, to to find um, potentials to deal with waste in a different way, to to manage waste differently, to send it into different locations and directions, to for sites to work together. So and or partners to work together in terms of symbiosis opportunities. So all of those things, that opportunity for change comes about probably next, and that to me comes about through two things. One is mostly through visualization, and that might be mapping, like Mike mentioned. So the ability, it's its fascinating how powerful it is to just see where your waste is going and actually fundamentally, especially with multi-site organizations, to, to see what that means in practice. You know, is waste going somewhere where, you know, could it be bulked? Are there potential partnerships? Are there opportunities for scaling and, and kind of consolidation of that waste, for example, or opportunities for changing the process altogether? So that kind of mapping helps, physical mapping helps mm -hmm. um the other thing to me i'm all about visualization i mean i'm partially a visual thinker i suppose so it's that way inclined but i find as soon as you graph things and map things people start to see the opportunities and and it puts it into a slightly different perspective so you can see that change so i think the second bit is that that visualization and using that visualization as an opportunity to change probably comes next and then you know and then you start to as you act on those things so as you alter your supply chain contracts or recontract or work with somebody, then again, those opportunities start to come into fruition. Sure. And I guess it's it's kind of bringing to mind some of the um, news stories that have come out around the fashion industry where there were some retail take back schemes where you could take your old clothes back into, um, you know, big brand name. And they were saying that, that you know, those clothes are gonna, either going to be resold or properly recycled back into textiles. And one of the um, newspapers or the, or the BBC, whichever it was, did an investigation and tracked some of those garments and found that that wasn't what happened at all. So I guess there are also customers wondering whether they've got a black hole, you know, is, is something happening that's not supposed to be happening? um you know with completely without their knowledge and they might be wondering about you know well what what if we ended up with an investigative journalist poking the nose around in in our waste streams you know what would come out and what would that how would that damage our reputation so you know are, are people kind of discovering these black holes um that might be one step beyond their own organization where they think they've they've they know what's happening to it and once you start mapping it it turns out I'm not asking you to name anybody, but, you know, are those kind of, you know, oh, oh, my goodness, you know, oh, my goodness moments, you know, look, look what could be going wrong here. I mean, I think that we've had certainly those conversations with as soon as you've been working with a client for slightly longer and they are, you know, more mm -hmm. open and they understand kind of what this brings to them. Those conversations come up and that that whole. Um, so my colleague and I, Caroline, who worked directly with the customers uh, mostly and you know, those conversations of the kind of you're in a room together and you're like going, you're sharing your story 
your, your compliance story and everybody who is involved in waste management appears to have one or has been for a while. And, you know, I have my own from working at the University of Edinburgh when when the regulator comes knocking and you're like going, you sweat for a moment. But the ability, I think what WasteMap is giving people is that ability to say, OK, I'm going to sweat because nobody wants the regulator to come knocking. But I'm confident I know what's happened and I can answer those questions. And we've done organizationally everything we possibly can in order to to manage the waste. And yes, things go wrong, but actually, you know, I don't I think it's rare that you find somebody who is actively wanting to do something um, wrong for, for the benefit of the organization or themselves. It happens, obviously, but the people we work with um, and the people I've always worked with tend to they want to not have that happen. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I think it, in answer to your question, yes, that that's you know fundamentally for a certain type of or, of person who is in a risk management role, uh, yeah, wanting to stop stop that from happening comes up. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and, well, and it's, not, it's might... not just the journalists as well. I mean, it, you know, we're seeing this with if you like banks and you know financial institutions that you know, are, you know, sort of backing companies in terms of sustainability loans and anything related to, you know, to impact or, or, or purpose or, um, and, and part of that, part of the, you know, the requirement there is, is a heightened level of scrutiny around some of these, you know, some of these things. So, and that's certainly something that, that's there. And related to that, going back to what Blur was saying about sort of reporting, whilst, you know, clearly ESG, you know, has a mixed, you know, it's kind of like kind of a mixed mixed reception. Um, you know, at the moment, and there's still quite a lot of skepticism out there. If you look at some of the sort of reporting requirements in terms of the auditing aspect of the, that reporting, you know, we're moving out of the world of limited assurance to one where it will be more of a sort of financial type sort of audit as well. So, so that. The level of scrutiny from the sort of financial stroke auditing kind of side of things is is definitely going to increase as well. So, so again, that that behooves companies and organisations to take another look at some of this stuff and think actually, can we, can we, you know, is this auditable essentially? Mm. Yeah, and I and I guess for lots of companies, you know, like going back to the brewery that I mentioned, which wasn't a micro brewery by the way, it was a well-established brewery, but you know that kind of. I highlighted that they, if an auditor had gone in, then they'd have discovered all sorts of things that, um, you know, should have been known, but, but weren't. So Mike, I'm curious to know what kind of things you struggled with and what surprised you in the, in the process of, of building and evolving Topolitics. Oh man, too, I just too, 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 too many struggles to mention, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think certainly from, from my point of view, you know, just classic, you know, harnessing enough resources to kind of keep things moving and keep developing and keep building and you know when we you know when we we started sort of really you know focusing on you know trying to understand what was happened to kind of all this kind of waste material you know actually the market out there in terms of people's interest and and the, the importance they placed on the circular economy and or waste was quite limited mm. <laughs> so so you know, so that was a bit of a challenge initially, um, but obviously that has changed enormously over the last five years. You know, so 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 the if you like the the, the broader market environment and understanding and acceptance has has changed, but there's still there is still a challenge there. You know, there's still an element of um, you know to a certain sense some education required. I still think we're working with the companies and organisations that are you might term as early adopters. You know, the ones that recognize actually they need to be a bit more innovative and progressive around many things, but including the circular economy and resources and materials. So but there's enough of them out there and there's a growing number of them. So we're, we're sort of, you know, we're playing into that. Um, so that that's certainly been a challenge. So the classic just getting enough financial and and, mm. and, and sort of people resources to kind of keep doing things um, in terms of what su surprised me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think what has also been really interesting to see over the last, you know, sort of five years again, has has been that aspect of the, if you like, the, if you like, the financial markets and the, you know, an investment and the money, because everyone recognizes and we all know that if we're going to address some of these big challenges that we face, if you take, you know, climate change, 
then we have to harness a huge, huge amount of kind of resources and, and, and investment to, 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 to really start to kind of address that. But of course, in harnessing all of that stuff, it, it, you know, there's a massive opportunity as well. You know, there's a big challenge, but there's a massive opportunity. So the thing that I guess to a certain extent surprised me has been actually how that, and it's still a work in progress, you know, how that, you know, kind of switch in terms of the, if you like, the investment and stroke, you know, the, the whole kind of ESG agenda has gone from being, you know, really just, a, you know, a bit of a kind of, you know, a, a, a hobby almost mm -hmm. within that within that world to something which has a little bit more kind of substance and meat. But we've still got a long way to go and there's still going to be, you know, lots of kind of ups and downs there. But um, so I suppose that that's been quite interesting to observe. Mm. So I guess it's kind of going from the, you know, nice to have category towards the essential um, to every business. Um, and that's where we need it to be, isn't it? That people really understand everything about what they're wasting, because every bit of waste um, needs to be turned into a resource for another, you know, a nutrient in circular economy terms for either another industrial process or as food for nature. And we should we should shouldn't be having anything that's that's going to waste. Yeah, and, and and obviously the last few years we've seen big supply chain shocks, haven't we, with COVID and with mm. geopolitical instability, et cetera, et cetera, and and conflict and so on and so forth. And and that clearly has concentrated people's minds about look, we we, we need these materials. If you look at EVs, you know, we need all of these kind of, you know, all this kind of you know, rare earths and these metals mm. to to make enough batteries to to then drive this kind of transition in terms of mobility. But by the same token, we now need a supply chain that can handle all the end of life batteries and we in order to be able to sort of reprocess that. So, so it, it, you know, so that whole kind of materials um, supply chain sort of piece is, as I think it's really concentrated people's mind and it's concentrated it on, OK, we need to be more efficient and we need to be more effective in the way we design and use these materials. Mm, yeah, and and given the you know the geopolitics around this, if we're dependent on a virgin resource from some company, some country that might choose to put a massive tariff on it or even restrict its exports altogether, like China's recently done with some more rare earth minerals, then wouldn't we better be better off using the resources that we've already got on our doorstep in terms of converting them from end of life? Absolutely, so, we yeah, need material security as well as energy security. I guess. Though. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So we've got a, a bit of time left for some of our um, traditional quickfire questions. So Fleur, perhaps we'll start with you. When you're talking to a business that's discovering the circular economy for a first for the first time, and you want to give them a, a tip in terms of what to do, um, what kind of thing do you suggest they uh, get started with? Um, I mean, I guess the obvious thing is collect their data and, and use it. So gather all of the information they possibly can from as many people or organizations as possible to, 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 to help them make better decisions. So gather the information and use it. It's a bit, bit, bit multifaceted in both, but I think, I mean, I, I know I, so there's a lot of people who suggest that there's not enough data out there and we need more data. And I think it's actually not quite like that. I think there is plenty of data out there. There's plenty of information. We just don't have the systems in place within organizations necessarily to collect it. And we're certainly not using it. So, mm. yeah. So from my perspective, it's it's get the information. Use it. Obviously, Waste Map helps with that. From a waste perspective, it helps them to, to gather, standardize, normalize, and consolidate that information so they can use it. Mm. Um, so I suppose I would say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, as you said, it enables people to visualize it and that suddenly shines a new light on things that they'd not been able to see before. So yeah, I think the, the, the mapping and the visualization must be really powerful. And Mike, is there somebody that you, you know, like to, um, when you're explaining the circular economy to people, is there an example that you, that's your go-to example or is there somebody that you like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th there's a couple of examples that, and these are kind of classic examples, I think, in that way. Of course, you've got, you know, Ray Anderson, an interface, you know, which is uh, an absolute, you know, amazing story, I think, uh, you know, almost like this this, this conversion from real, realizing that we've got this kind of hydrocarbon oil based sort of product and turning it into something which is based on a different sort of materials, but also the whole business model you know, going from a, you know, selling to a kind of almost like a kind of leasing type model. So, so that, that's, that's one example. And the other one is another classic, but I still can't get, get away from it because 
you know, I live in Scotland and I love going out on the hills is, is, um, is Yvonne Chouinard and, and Patagonia. And, you know, and again, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the fundamental approach of that business and mm. where it came from and, uh, you know, and, and, and the way it tries to operate, um, I still, you know, it's a well, it's a well trodden path in terms of a, of, of a use case, but I, I still, you know, I still really buy into the, you know, the, the, the story. Yeah, I agree. And I think the um, responsible business, I think it is, there's two books. There's one's the story of Patagonia. And then there's another book um, that unpacks more of the philosophies in the business. And that's got so many useful things that would apply to all sorts of different sectors. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I'm a, um, a big Patagonia fan. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, Patagonia trousers today, but obviously can't see those on the, on the video. <laughs> So, um, yeah. Okay. So, um, and if you could wave a magic wand, Fleur, and change one thing to help create a better world, what would that be? Um, I mean, assuming it couldn't be a multifaceted, we'd all live within planetary boundaries. I'm going to go with (laughs) magic. It's magic wand. I can do anything, right? Um, I'm going to go with food waste. Food waste would no longer be dumped. It wouldn't go to landfill. It wouldn't be burned. Um, We would would use it usefully. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, fantastic. I'm, I'm with you on that. And Mike, how about you? What would you do with your magic wand? I, I, I would I would I would just say to people that don't don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the the task and the challenge that we have before us, specifically thinking about circle economy. Don't be afraid to just make, you know, take tiny steps, small steps in that direction and, and and again relating that back to what we do that's kind of what we're trying to do is sort of say well look let's start with some stuff that is kind of like you know about but you know that you can kind of address and then you can start to get really sort of clever and 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 and, and, and start to sort of think about you know the the design the design end the business model end and that kind of thing but let's sort of take some steps in that direction mm. so i guess that will be the thing is don't don't be just don't be put off by just the kind of the, the if you like the, the the scale of the of the challenge. Actually, mm. just kind of get in there and start to do some kind of simple things that can kind of help. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, some of the um, webinars I'm doing at the moment, training webinars. Um, I've got this kind of change maker flywheel, and one of the things is to uh, you know kind of recognise if you're doing things personally, whether you're the sort of person who takes big leaps or you're better off with baby steps uh, because you've got to beware the action intention gap. And that's the difficulty, isn't it? That if you kind of come out with some, your first step's gonna be some, you know, big monumental change and the company's a great big PLC that's like a super tanker, then that's gonna be really hard to, to, to kind of mobilize people to do. So baby steps can really start to coalesce people around the idea. Um, and the possibilities. So thank you. So how can people find out more about you and Topolitics? Well, we topolitics.com is the website. Uh, you'll find us find us there. Um, Fleur and myself, we're both on, on LinkedIn. So by all means, reach out. Um, we've got a paper out at the moment called Putting the W into ESG, which, um, which is again available through the website. Um, so yeah, really, any number of ways that you know people and we absolutely encourage anybody to come and talk to us not even if they're not interested in in working with us but just want to sort of talk around some of this stuff we're we're, we're always happy to have discussions around some of the kind of issues related to circularity resources materials waste etc etc fantastic and we'll put all those links in the sh- in the show notes so people can find out more. And that's been so interesting. Thanks, Mike and Fleur, for taking the time to talk us through that. And keep on supporting circularity by shining a light on where the value is and where the waste is. Brilliant. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. We all know that our industrial systems generate waste at every stage of production, from extraction to end of use. And it's clear we need better systems to detect, track and recover value from all that waste. Topolytics and its Waste Map platform help companies track and understand their waste management data, improving both visibility and trust in the data. Mike highlighted the complexity of managing waste in many industrial sectors, especially for hazardous materials, recyclable materials, plus 
the complexity of the sheer volume of waste generated along the supply chain. Using Topolytics waste map and data can help companies spot opportunities to close the loop. Fleur explained how they worked with a food and drink manufacturer to identify areas of waste in the production process, including a failure point in labelling that caused plastic packaging to be rejected. By understanding where in the process the waste was being created and working directly with the packaging manufacturer, Topolytics client was able to recover resources with sustainability and cost benefits. As Mike reminded us, it's essential that we rethink our perspectives on waste, shifting from viewing it as a problem or even as a necessary evil, and instead thinking about how to avoid it or make sure it's converted into a valuable resource. Thanks for lending us your ears for this episode of the Circular Economy podcast. And thank you to our data-driven guests this week, Michael Groves and Fleur Ruckley from Topolytics. Mike kindly shared a short Topolytics video that you can see on the World Economic Forum website and a link to a recent position paper, putting the W into ESG. As always, I've included those links and ways to find out more about Michael, Fleur and Topolytics in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, the company I started to help you succeed with Circular. You can find information on my talks, workshops and advice, plus Circular Economy resources at rethinkglobal.info. And you can connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can do better with less. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. If you're just starting out with the circular economy, why not check out our Getting Started playlist on the podcast homepage. You could also buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out the interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the end. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and I'll see you next time. <music>